Welcome to our Wednesday night Bible study. I am David, and this is my lovely wife, Joanna. And there's the fingers waving, there's the queen's wave. And if you're listening to this on audio, you're wondering what is going on. You should be here. So we have a live audience. Everybody say hello. Hello. So we are going to get right into the study tonight. Uh, the Lord spoke to me early this morning to teach on dreams and visions. And as I began to get ministry calls today, it seems like everybody that called had had a dream or a vision and they either wanted me to pray with them about it or ask the Lord for an interpretation. It was just call after call. So I believe we're right in the move of God. We're riding that wave. Uh, power is riding the wave that God created. Authority is having the authority to create the wave. Jesus had both power and he had authority. He was not as the scribes or the Pharisees. He was one as having authority. How God anointed Jesus Christ of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power and he went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil you can have the holy spirit and not have the power you can have power but not have authority and we need to have exousia authority and we need to have power to move things so the illustration is this um of a police officer that's five foot one inch tall and it's a woman and she's in new york city and she weighs 105 pounds and she steps out in her police officer's outfit and she holds up her hand, traffic stops. Why does traffic stop for that five foot one, five foot two inch, 105 pound female police officer? Is it because she has power? Well, actually, she may have power with the gun. It's not because of the gun everybody stops. It's because of the authority of the badge. And so when you have a badge of authority, the devil recognizes that. And when you don't carry that authority, the devil recognizes it also and he laughs at you. The illustration was uh, told of a, an evangelist at one point was ministering in a church, on a church, it was an auditorium, and there was a couple of thousand people there. And while he was preaching the salvation message and the altar call was getting ready to occur, a demon started to manifest in the congregation and often Demons will manifest at altar calls to disrupt or to dissuade. They're a distraction, they're a false flag. And Christians will run over and start to cast the demon out or they'll run from them, you know. A lot of Christians just run from demons and, you know. But, you know, people will then go to try to cast the demon out, but it's a distraction, it's a false flag. What you do is you take that person in back and you deal with them in a different room because they're distracting from the gospel of Jesus Christ going up, the good news. And so the evangelist, who was very anointed, said, somebody take him in the back room and cast that demon out of him. I don't want the gospel to be distracted from the message going out. And so some ministers went and they took him back and it was a nasty demon. And anyway, the minister ended up giving an altar call and men and women came streaming down, received Jesus. And then he began to pray for people to get healed and healings took place, blind eyes, deaf ears popped open, person came out of a wheelchair, it was great rejoicing. And this was a couple of hours and the service was ending and people were leaving in tears and joy, their sins had been forgiven, they'd been filled with the Holy Spirit. They were headed home and he was now headed on out and he went to grab his bags and he heard some people yelling and there was growling that was going on. He said, what is going on here? 
and he went in back and there was 20 pastors and it's the same guy they're still trying to get the demon out of him and they're quoting the word they're pleading the blood of Jesus come out you foul spirit I rebuke you I adjure you by the name of Jesus Christ come out and the demon just rallying and people have got like black eyes you know their shirts are torn he said what is going on here he says, well, you told us to take him in the back room and cast him out. So we tried and we couldn't get him out. So we kept on bringing other pastors. He says, there's 20 of you here. It only takes one, two max. He says, what's going on? He says, well, he's thrown us around the room. He's bitten us. You know, we've got him secured. He says, let him go. He goes, no, you don't understand. He's very dangerous. He says, I said, let him go. And they let the man go. And when they let the man go, the pastor, the evangelist, he walked up and he stared the man right in the eyes as the demon demonic eyes looked back at him and he looked him right in the eyes and he said boo the power of god hit the man and he fell out under the power the demon came out he was filled with the holy spirit he began to speak with other tongues it was a marvelous deliverance and the pastor says we don't understand we spent two hours with 20 of us we're beat up this is and all you did was say, boo, and he came out. He says, and the evangelist said to him, he says, when you have authority, even the begats and the begots in the gospel are enough to cast a demon out. But when you don't have authority, you can quote the word all day because the devil knows the difference. Right. And he spun around and he walked out. Do you have authority to cast out demons? Jesus gave it to you. Do you recognize your authority? I remember when I was a young believer, I was in Leavenworth Penitentiary in Building 63 when I just first started my prison sentence, moved from the county jail there, and, you know, Building 63 is kind of a rough little environment, you know, and it's where the Birdman of Alcatraz actually had his birds. He didn't have an Alcatraz in California, he had him in Leavenworth, Kansas in Building 63, so that's where I was secreted away with those wonderful... 16-foot walls and, you know, the paint falling off and uh, 200 cockroaches in the cell, just to kind of give you an idea of where God got a hold of me in response to my mother's prayers. So, you know, you may have some backslidden children right now. Mom, pray for them. God will go ahead and get them. Pray that he arrests them without the police having to arrest them. We declare a Holy Ghost arrest right now, a Holy Ghost apprehension of the backslidden, of the prodigal children back into the kingdom of God. Well, my, my mother prayed me, uh, you know, grace on my life and I had dreams and visions. She had dreams and visions and she would come to me and she would tell me, she would leave a, a, a voice message on my voice recording device. You remember those with the cassette tapes? This is like 33 years ago. And it would be like, you know who this is. Meet me at the same location we met last time two days later than when we met last time. Click, my mom's like speaking in code on my voice recorder. So I'd be like, okay, we met on a Tuesday, we'll meet on a Thursday, I remember the location. So I would meet and she'd be in a back booth. She'd have the menu up, you know, thinking, man, you know, she's, she's slicker than my drug dealer friends, for God's sake. She's like, you know, undercover. And uh, if you people know my mom, they'll laugh about this story. And if you don't, you can laugh as well, but. <laughs> Uh, she actually had the menu up and there was a newspaper and I'd go back and sit and she looks at me. She says, how are you doing? I said, fine. She said, I had a dream. I said, okay. 
and she said, you see that car out there? I said, the Porsche 911 Cabriolet? She said, I don't know what it is. She says, but it looks like that one, but it's older and it's got California plates. And there's a man in it with blonde hair and he's got a gold chain. And this is what the medallion is on the gold chain. And there's a second medallion on it as well. He's about to get in trouble for breaking the law, drug trafficking. And he's going to tell on everybody and bring everybody down around him. She says, do you know anybody like that? I have no idea what you're talking about. Of course I lied. So sometimes when you have a prophetic dream, when people are in sin and you go to give them a warning dream, they won't acknowledge it because they don't want you to know that they're in sin. So don't think your dreams aren't accurate just because people lie to you and tell you they're not accurate because they probably are accurate when you get that kind of detail. So I did know the guy. I left and I was driving down the road and I pulled up at a stop sign and who pulls up next to me in that 911 Porsche Cabriolet? The blonde guy, Steve, and he had the necklace on with the two medallions. And he looked over at me and he smiled and he says, you want to get together? He held up his pager. We had pagers back then, right? And lots of quarters for the telephones, you know. I went through about $30 worth of quarters a week just on telephone calls. And so I said, I'll call you. I'll page you. Yeah, we're good. And I drove off and I went to the right and got away from him. Two weeks later, Steve was arrested. I think he had 63 kilos of cocaine or something out in California. It was a case in Kansas City. And it was the largest bust at that time that they'd had. And Steve rolled on everybody. The joke was they call him Flipper. He just flipped. I mean, he didn't go to the grand old jury. He went to the grand old Opry and sang tenor. They had to hit him with a brick to shut him up while they changed shapes in the interrogation room. That guy was talking so much. But I'd never done a deal with Steve directly. And that indictment missed me because of a warning dream from my mother who had been praying for me. Do you know you can actually help save your children from trials and tribulations? But if your children don't repent, sin will stack and when it falls, it will fall hard. So I took Steve's space in the uh, cocaine trafficking space over there in Kansas City, kind of took his position, worked my way up with a whole different demographic. And I was eventually arrested with a stolen Mercedes, a stolen jet, a Mercedes Benz, a bag of cash at a private airfield in Florida, Boca Raton, January 10th, 1989. And, you know, feds came out of planes, trains, automobiles, put guns in my head, ruined my orange juice morning. I didn't pass code, didn't collect $200, went to jail, directly to jail for the next uh, 19 years, six months, a week and a day. Steve rolled on everybody to two years. What was funny is this. I'm out on bond while Steve is getting out a prison, he's still got the friendship bracelet on his ankle from the feds. And I see him at a restaurant bar and I just looked at him, I'm like, I'm not talking to that guy. I'm out on bond and he's just out of prison and I'm sure they were still calling him Flipper. Anyway, this is not about snitching, not snitching, that's not about that, but I'm just letting you know what happened. But we're talking about dreams. So the night before I'm arrested, I have a dream. And in the dream, there's a brown and white Cessna Citation II jet with a dent in the wing. There's a silver Mercedes Benz and 
I'm arrested in Boca Raton, Florida. I'm taken from there to a courtroom with a female magistrate judge with black hair, curly, and she was wearing a black anodized aluminum tag Hoyer watch. And I had five watch stores at the time, so I knew watches. And she was wearing this watch. And there was an orange-haired agent, like reddish-orange, carrot top, and he had on boots with mud on them. And I was with my co-defendant in the dream. We'll call him Vic because that's what he's called in the book, Jet Rydell, Journey to Freedom. You can buy it at jetridebook.com. Riveting book, trust me. It's fun to read. Um, but the charges were read on a Cessna Citation 2 jet, and they knew about a King Air 300 twin turbo prop, prop you know, that we'd stolen the month before for the Colombian drug cartel and been paid in cocaine and cash and some other things in, in Houston. And so I woke up from that dream and the phone was ringing. And that dream was so real. And who was it? It was what would become an undercover agent that ended up delivering us not the blue and white jet that we'd ordered. The silver Mercedes wasn't supposed to be there. And it was being delivered at six in the morning and in the dream, it was 9.05 in the morning. Do you know I tried to cancel that deal three times. I flew down to Florida from Kansas City and I remember my mom called me and I was rude to her. And she said, God, I give him over to you. Do what you want with him. See, intercession can keep judgment from you. But if you don't repent, judgment will stack. And when it falls, it falls hard. Proverbs 1 says that because you rejected reproof and spurned correction, I will laugh at you in your calamity, God says. And so when I finally ended up in jail, God was laughing at my calamity. But he had a plan to turn me into a man of God, transformation through the process and instead of me getting a microwave miracle, like I'd seen many other people get microwave miracles, where they just went in, God did a miracle, and they're out. And they might have been born again until they were out again. But God kept me not in a microwave miracle moment, but it was a crockpot moment, which lasted 20 calendar years. And the flavor got through and through. And that's how God got into me the gospel that is part of me now that now releases anytime I get squeezed in a situation, what's in you comes out of you. So if the gospel gets in you crockpot style, it, the flavor's through and through. You can have top dressed ice cream, it looks good at the top, take a couple of spoonfuls, some nuts and chocolate, you dig down, it's just regular ice cream. But if you have that haagen from the first spoonful to the last, it's flavor through and through. God inhabits the praises of his people, you know. Jacob was blessed, but he inhabits the praise of his people. So blessing is like top-dressed ice cream. You can pray blessings over people and they've got that top-dressed ice cream, and that's good, but when it's inhabited with the flavor through and through, God inhabits the praises of his people. And if you want the presence and the power of God, the authority of God, it comes from spending time in his presence where we become super saturated by being in proximity with the king. If you walk in to a bar and there's cigarette smoke in the bar, even if you just go in to pick up to-go food, let's say you're you know, on a ministry trip or travel or business or vacation and you decide you're hungry and you walk into a bar restaurant and there's cigarette smoking going on, you walk in and you walk out and you go back into the car with your wife, your wife will say, 
you stink high to heaven like cigarettes. I said, I was just in there five minutes. But see, you left the room, but it permeated, it transferred to your clothing and you took it out with you. Well, when you're with God in the secret place in the most high's presence, there is an anointing, a fragrance of his knowledge that's diffused in every place that transfers to you. And when you walk out, people can smell the fragrance of God on you. When you're around people that operate in a high level of intercession and intimacy with the Lord, and I can meet them, I could be walking through a church service, I could see them at a convenience store, and when I smell the fragrance, I'm like, oh, they've been in this secret place. Like, How are you doing, brother? I remember I was uh, just coming back, I, I forget where we were traveling, I think Houston and California. We, pre we, just, we were just preaching in Houston and San Francisco this last week. And I remember that I met a guy in the bathroom in one of the layover flights, and I saw the shine on his face, and when he walked by, I smelled the fragrance of heaven on him. And I looked up, I said, how are you doing, brother? And he looked at me, he said, I'm doing good. And we didn't say anything, but we knew. See, because when you operate at a realm or a level, you recognize people. Game recognizes game, glory recognizes glory. And when the glory of God is on somebody, somebody who carries that glory or that anointing or that authority recognizes another. And so you can walk into a room and recognize who carries authority in a, in a, in a, in a secular meeting, who carries authority in a church meeting, who carries the presence of God. You can just recognize it. So, uh, yeah, so I heard this quote yesterday. I was on the phone with my wife. We were coming back driving through in the rain and we were talking to somebody and they said this, I heard this quote about 20 years earlier. Revival happens when the secret place with God alone is taken to the marketplace. That's when real revival happens. Evangelism really happens. Revival happens when what you got in the secret place, you're willing to go out into the marketplace with it. Because we don't fish in our own bathtub. I mean, a lot of churches, they're like, you know, well, you know, people got born again, again, and again. You, know, you get born again once, you can renew your, 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 your faith. But, but you want to go not fish in your own bathtub. You don't want to have an aquarium you just pull fish out of and put back in. You want to go win the lost and the highways and the byways, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And these signs will follow them that believe in my name. They'll cast out demons. They'll speak with new tongues. They'll lay hands on the sick. They will recover. They'll pick up serpents in their hand and cast out demons. Somebody slips them a mickey, puts some poison food in there. They just pray over it. They nullify it. And the signs and the wonders of the gospel cause the non-believer and the witch doctor to say, you've got something we don't want. We want that power. And you can let them know. You need to enter meet the one who has all the power he gave me power over serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy he'll do it for you but it comes through a consecrated life does that help out a little bit okay so we're going to get into dreams and visions and the night before i had that dream or vision before i was arrested i remember telling my co-defendant well my my best friend at the time Vic, he's a chiropractor down in florida i said man he, i got out of I had my I had my convertible. I used to love to rent convertibles down in Florida, come from Kansas City, rent a convertible, had my overpriced Porsche design, 18 karat gold sunglasses. I think those were probably put through a shredder and confiscated along with everything else. But uh, long story short, he says, how are you doing? I said, I'm doing okay. He goes, you look a little off. You look a little shaken. What's going on? I said, well, I said I had a dream last night and I told him the dream. And he said, what do you think? I said, you know, Let's cancel this deal. We tried to cancel the deal and it just was too far along, it seemed like. And we looked at each other and we said, eh, what's in a dream? And we laughed. 
And here's why we laugh, because the plane was supposed to be blue and white. The time was supposed to be six in the morning. And, she, and, and Vic wasn't supposed to be there. And the silver Mercedes wasn't even ours. It was from a bonus from the last jet deal. I think they got paid in emeralds too, but in cash. But long story short, things were delayed because the feds couldn't get a reverse sting operation on the blue and white, so they had to get a brown and white out of a different state. And that's why they were late getting in and it was even dinged on the wings. So they delivered us the wrong jet. And so we were at, back at the hotel and the next thing you know, we're like, ah, well, let's just go ahead and drive on the tarmac and the seat broke. See, God knows everything from the end to the beginning and backwards. The seat broke and Vic was about six feet tall and I'm about five foot eight and a half. Had to add that in <laughs> on a good day. And what happened was Vic was tall enough to drive the seat, the, the, the Mercedes that had the seat that broke all the way backwards, seating back. So he was there, the Mercedes was there, the time had changed, the jet type had changed. And the next thing you know, we were arrested right there on the tarmac in Boca Raton, Florida. Boca Raton means mouth of the rat. And there was a rat amongst us. And so we were arrested. So the reality is I didn't get arrested, I got rescued. And Vic ended up getting born again. I ended up getting born again through the process. His grandmother's and mother's prayers had set us up by divine appointment. And I didn't get born again right away. I mean, I was a hard-headed, you know, hard head results in soft bottom. And I went to the woodshed several times. But it was about 16 months from the time I was arrested at the time that I gave my life to Jesus and everything changed in a prison cell in the North Penitentiary. So the point is, I spurned correction. I rejected the counsel from dreams. And grace had been administered and extended to me by God through dreams of warning through my mother. I remember when I was out on bond, I was out of money. Somebody had stole a bunch of money from me who ended up cooperating with the government, turning me in for the crime, stealing my money, kept my, my drug money, my drug money. You know, you know, there's nothing worse than when somebody steals something from you that you once stole. That's a joke. Okay. Just, you know, kind of prison code, criminal code. Nothing worse than when somebody steals something from you that you once stole. So anyway, I was short on cash at the time and I was waiting for some more money to come to me and spend much money on attorney fees. And so I was at this mall and then also the prosecutor had given some false information to my uh, pilot's attorney who was paid for by the Colombians. So then I had like this contract on my life. And so they were offering me federal witness protection program. If I would go into the program, I said no, because I didn't cooperate. But prosecutor, you know, intentionally or unintentionally triggered me having a contract on my life while I was on a bond. So now I'm like, you know, hiding in Kansas City, but I can't leave the area because I'm on pretrial release. Really complicated. You know, when God's trying to get a hold of you, he'll begin closing any door that's not of him until the only thing left is him standing before you. A lot of times the people think it's the devil, you know, blocking your child or blocking this deal. God's just trying to get you back to him as the source, the supply, and the provider. Anyway, so I'm walking through this mall that's like, you know, 35 miles from my parents' house. And up behind me walks my mother. She says, the Holy Spirit told me where to find you. She handed me a couple of hundred dollars, gave me a hug and walked off. 
see God's goodness. It's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. And, you know, you don't think much about that stuff until you give your life to Jesus and you look back and you see the fingerprints of God upon your life that he constantly reached out with his love. Romans 2, 4, it is the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. So God speaks now one way, now another, though man may not recognize or perceive it in a dream and a vision of the night when deep sleep falls upon men as they slumber in their beds. Then he opens their ears and seals their instructions to turn man from wrongdoing. David, don't steal the jet. Here's a dream. Here's what happens. God does this oftentimes with everyone. He does it with wicked men. How do I know that? I was a wicked man. Reprobate, depraved in my thinking, but a praying mother and a praying father. You know, your prayers will release the hounds of heaven upon your children. Other people's children will have not so good things happen to them and your children will dance through. They'll be in car accidents. God forbid that happens, but they'll maybe be in a situation and they'll come out without, they'll have one little scratch. The police will say, there's no way that he's not dead and mush. Look at this car. There's nothing left. How could he? He came out. But the child sometimes, instead of repenting, now it emboldens them that they think that they're nine foot tall and bulletproof. So the goodness of God leads us to repentance, but often until we repent, we don't see all the things where God has intervened in our life with his goodness and extended our days. But the good news is this. If he's done it for you, he'll do it for others. Job says, I think it's 22, 29, and 30, 30, and 31. It says that God will deliver, and this is a certain translation. It says God will deliver one who's not innocent through the cleanness of your hands. So if your hands are clean before God, you have great intercessory prayer authority to pray deliverance over one who's not innocent. God will deliver a guilty one. Guess what? Jesus' hands were clean on the cross and he delivered humanity. Isn't that amazing? And the thief on the cross was delivered with the cleanness of Jesus. This day you'll be with me in paradise. You have great authority through intercession when your hands are clean before God and you spend time in the secret place with him and his presence permeates you and you come down off that mountain with God and your face will glow with the glow of the glory of God. We're talking about dreams and visions. That's just kind of an intro. Did you know that more than 30% of the Bible is compiled from dreams and visions? From Genesis to Revelation, God revealed his plans for his children through dreams and visions. God still speaks to us today through dreams and visions, if we will, but listen. Jesus is the same yesterday, today and forever, Hebrews 13, 8, and I, the Lord, I change not. Genesis records God calling Joseph to ministry at age 17 through two back-to-back dreams. Genesis records, yeah, back-to-back dreams. God later used Joseph to interpret Pharaoh's dreams, the leader of the nation, the king of the day. He took a prisoner from the prison house, prepared him after 13 years of servitude between Potiphar's house as a slave, the prison house, God promoted him to the palace as prime minister under Pharaoh. Isn't it amazing how God will take Joseph, who's in the pasture, he ends up in the pit, he goes to Potiphar's house, he doesn't compromise, he ends up in the prison house because he refuses to compromise with Potiphar's wife. He goes to the prison house 
and then God develops him and through dreams and visions, he's able to interpret the cupbearer baker's dream and then God promotes him to the palace as prime minister under Pharaoh. Pharaoh. So pasture pit, Potiphar's house, prison house, palace, prime minister under Pharaoh. The seven Ps. And what did it, Joseph started with dreams that his brother and sheaves would bow down to him, the sun and the moon and star. And guess what? It happened 22 years later. God knows the end from the beginning. Have you had dreams? Write your dream. Make it plain upon the tables that he may run that readeth it. For the dream is yet for an appointed time. Though it tarry, wait for it. It shall surely come to pass. Daniel 7, 1 says, write the dream down. So if you'll write it down in the middle of the night, you want to know what will happen. When you wake up, God will often give you interpretation. Or when you write it, God will often give you interpretation right there. And if you say, I'll remember it in the morning, you may and you may not. Because your natural thinking and the presence of God will lift and your natural thinking will come back and you'll not be walking in the mind of Christ that you had when you had the dream. So the best time to write a dream down is right after you wake up from it and have it. And I'll guarantee you, if you begin to leave paper and pen by your bed, God will begin to visit you in dreams and visions just like he promises in Job chapter 33, verses 14 through 18. So God later used uh, Joseph to interpret Pharaoh's dreams of Egypt's coming famine, Genesis 41, verses 1 through 36. Pharaoh, Pharaoh then promoted Joseph from the prison house to the palace and made him prime minister over all the land at age 30. He is second in power in Egypt. And he's a Jew. Tell me how God doesn't sneak a 007 agent in. Yeah. They're worshiping pagan gods and God brings a Jew into the palace to save two nations because he loves the pagan just the way the pagan is, but he loves the pagan way too much to leave him in that condition. God will position you. He put Esther, a Jew, and had her marry King Artaxerxes, who was a pagan. Now, this will mess up your theology. I'm just quoting scripture, okay? Okay, well, you know, the greater works can be really messed up according to Christian theology. I mean, not biblical theology, not Jesus' theology, but Christian churchology. Okay, Genesis, and by the way, you should marry a believer. I'm not giving you a pass card on that or saying that's a license to go marry a pagan, but there are certain people who have an appointment in Jerusalem where they're called to do certain things. If they're walking right, trust the Lord to finish the course with them and watch what great things he does through them. Pharaoh then promoted Joseph from the prison house to the palace, made him prime minister over all the land of Egypt at age 30. God used Joseph to deliver an entire nation plus his own family from a seven-year famine through accurate acknowledgement, interpretation, and application of two dreams God gave to a heathen king. Does God speak to a heathen king? Yeah, but he won't give him an interpretation. You see how that works? It's like getting half a hundred dollar bill and you got to get with the other person who's got the half, other half taped it together to be able to spend it. So Pharaoh's got the dream, the combination lock, and Joseph has the other digits to be able to unlock the mystery. 
God will prepare you with dreams and visions. He'll give you dreams and visions. He'll give you the gift of interpretation of dreams and visions. Then he'll send pagans or non-believers or heathen around you that he's given a dream because he wants you to interpret it and then introduce them to him. Isn't that amazing? 30% of the Bible, dreams and visions. So, does God, still, does God still speak this way today? Let's look at scriptures and some contemporary examples. You ready for this? For I, the Lord God, I change not, uh, Malachi 3.6. For I am the Lord, I change not, Malachi 3.6, King James Version. What has been before will be again. There's nothing new under the sun, Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 1.9, New International. Version, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever, Hebrews 13.8. In the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit on all people. You know what the word all means in the original language? It means all. <laughs> so your sons and your daughters will prophesy. So it goes from the priesthood to the people. It's not just men that are anointed. It's now women, neither Jew nor Greek, nor slave, nor free, nor male, nor female in Christ. We're all equal in him. Different callings, different purposes. Men are positional. Women are relational by design. And when you bring a man and a woman to Christ in a marital relationship, the man has positional authority. Women have relational authority. And when you have that Positional authority from heaven to earth, vertically, and you have that relational authority across the earth, horizontally. That's where the cross shows up and Jesus works the best, where one can put a thousand. If like two can chase 10,000 together. If two of you agree as anything, touching anything on earth, it will be given to you by your Father, which is heaven. There's great authority when a husband and a wife get together and pray. It's exponentially different. And the scriptures also warn that if you have odd or a problem in your marriage, it will hinder your prayers. So if you're praying and you can't get prayers answered, ask the Lord what's wrong. He might say, you said this to your spouse, go get it right. You'll go apologize to them and they'll be happy and then you'll be happier and happy wife, happy life. And it's also happy in Christ because now you're right with God and now he begins to answer your prayers. Little side nugget there for anybody who's listening. Um, so your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. Acts 2.17, NIV version. This happened on the day of Pentecost when the Spirit of God was poured out. They were all speaking in tongues. There were separated tongues of fire rested upon each of their head in Acts chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. And they began to speak known dialects, unknown to them, but known to the listeners, 16 different language groups. And they came out and Peter said, this is not... A bunch of drunk men as it so may seem to you in the natural your natural thinking you can't understand this so you think they must be stumbling drunks because the reality is you normally get drunk that's why you think they're drunk because they're acting like you the difference is they've got the new wine of the Holy Spirit so don't judge them and you religious fuddy-duddies with your PhDs and degrees you don't even know God you just know the Word of God but you don't know the God of the Word and you don't know that this is a move of the Spirit. You're like King David's wife who spoke against him when he danced in his ephod, his underwear, before the ark of the Lord. And she spoke against him and she became barren in her womb. Don't speak against the things of the Spirit that you don't understand. Instead, say, Lord, if this is you, I want it too. Go get you a dose of the Holy Ghost. You'll be in the secret place with him. You'll come out and go to the marketplace. Revival will happen and you'll have authority to cast out devils, heal the sick cleanse the lepers, and raise the dead. 
You won't have to call the pastor or a preacher or go to a healing service because you carry it with you because your authority over situations is in direct relation to the proximity that you walk with Jesus. Peter denied Christ three times, walked on water and sank, rebuked the Lord, but when he got in the secret place with Jesus, then his shadow began to heal the sick and cast out devil. So it doesn't matter what you've done, where you've made mistakes, because if you just get in proximity with Jesus, the rest of it happens. Okay. The Bible clearly tells us that God speaks through the language of dreams and visions today. Actually, I've got a book called Dreams and Visions. David Herobini, you can go to Amazon.com. You can pull up Dreams and Visions. It's a great book, and it will uh, give you scriptural keys for interpretation, tools, and uh, you can also get it at virtualchurchmedia.com on our shop link there. And you get it on an instant download, Kindle, and all that other stuff. So the Bible clearly tells us that God speaks through the language of dreams and visions today. Scripture is full of examples. Church history records numerous examples. Many men and women of God altered history by obeying the dreams and visions he gave them. These include missionaries like Dr. Livingstone, who carried the gospel to an unevangelized land, Corey Tenboom, who saved the lives of many Jews by hiding them in her home during the Holocaust, Dr. Martin Luther King, who said, I had a dream that changed a nation. If God still speaks in dreams and visions today, why are we not experiencing them is the question. God's no respecter of persons, Acts 10, 34. If he did it for them, he'll do it for you. Do you want them? Do you want God to speak with you in this way? Well, I got news for you. God wants to speak to you in this way or you wouldn't be under the sound of my voice because he always confirms the word spoken with dreams and visions and confirmation of signs and wonders following. So you're not here by accident. You're not listening on Facebook Live or YouTube or Rumble or whatever thing or an audio on SoundCloud or maybe somebody sent you a soundbite. It's not by accident that you're hearing this. Prepare to receive an outpouring of dreams and visions that will pull you into the presence of God. Somebody said to me, why doesn't God just speak audibly? I said, I've had the audible voice of God on a few occasions. And guess what? Pretty scary because some things that happen afterwards, thank God you got the audible voice of God, you needed it, or it might save your life. But normally he speaks in the still small voice, the quickening of scripture. I've got another book called Hearing God 25 Different Ways. I encourage you to look at that. That's a great book to learn the various ways in which God speaks. But God doesn't often speak audibly. He did with Moses. He spoke to the prophets in dreams and visions. This is not true of my servant Moses, who is faithful in all my house. With him, I speak clearly face to face. He hears the voice of the Lord. Well, Moses also wrote the first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So we have canonized scripture from Moses, who God spoke to face to face audibly as a man speaks to his friend. Numbers chapter 12, verses 6 through 8. So the primary way in which God speaks is Scripture, the Bible. So we speak to God in prayer, and he speaks back to us when we read his Bible and Scripture. But he'll also give us dreams and visions. What will happen is he'll give you dreams and visions, and he'll pull you into the secret place with him. So you can have interpretation of the dreams and vision, and he gets to spend time with you. We're so busy on social media and the vicissitudes of life that often... He has to catch us when we're knocked out and visit us in 
a dream or a vision of the night. He'll often speak in our ears, seal our instructions. He'll often give us a song in the night or wake us up with a song in the morning. Scripture provides the answer on why we're not receiving them because God is always moving. We're just not always in the spirit to move with him. The gifts of the spirit are always moving. We're just not always in the spirit to move in them. So if we'll move in the spirit, which is the secret place with the most high where deep calls unto deep, we'll begin to hear his voice. We'll begin to get saturated with his presence. We'll take the secret place to the marketplace and revival and evangelism will happen. We'll no longer be fishing in our own bathtub. We'll be out in the deep waters and catching a great drought of fishes bringing back Jesus, the just recompense of the reward that he so deserves for the work that he did for you and me on the tree 2,000 years ago. So here's the scripture. It says, although God speaks again and again, no one pays attention to what he says. At night when people are asleep, God speaks in dreams and visions. Job, Job chapter 33, verse 14, 15, TEV version. Another translation renders it this way. For God does speak now one way now another though man may not perceive it in a dream and a vision of the night when deep sleep falls on men as they slumber in their beds god does all these things to a man twice even three times to turn his soul from the pit the light of his life may shine upon him job 33 14 and 15 and verse 29 that's the niv version the question then is not if god is speaking this way through dreams and visions, but rather are we listening and are we perceiving or paying attention when God does speak through his language of dreams and visions of the night? Are you hungry? Blessed are those who do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. A practical example. In 1820, God brought a child into the world who would later be known as the Moses of her people. Her name was Harriet Tubman. Also known as the conductor of the Underground Railroad, Harriet was born a slave on a Maryland plantation and later escaped to freedom on the Underground Railroad. In fact, they just came out with a movie last year, I think, Tubman. Harriet Tubman. Fabulous movie. God spoke to Harriet in numerous dreams and visions, giving her specific instructions throughout her 92 years of life. God instructed her how to set other slaves free. See, dreams will help set the captives free when you listen and obey. God showed Harriet rivers, swamps, and passages through forests in advance when she would take people to freedom, slaves, to set them free on the Underground Railroad. He also showed her how to lead slaves in Ohio, Pennsylvania, and New York safely to Canada during the pre-abolition days of slavery in the United States. Her life records numerous life-threatening trips that inspire faith. She led more than 300 black men, women, and children past the swamps, forests, rivers, and secret hiding places that marked the dangerous escape route to the north. Like Joseph in the Old Testament, who was used to help save his brothers and family, the Lord Lord's dreams guided Harriet Tubman to return to the Maryland plantation and deliver her three brothers from slavery as well. This dear servant of God could neither read nor write, yet she was never caught. And she never lost a single passenger. 
as conductor of the Underground Railroad. That's the power of a relationship and proximity with Jesus. Dreams and visions delivered 300 people. She carried a pistol with her. You know why she carried a pistol? It wasn't to protect her from... It was, if you're going with me, I carry this pistol because you have to be fully committed for your freedom. If you go back, you could get the rest of us caught. So I will shoot you. So if you want to come, it's death or freedom, but we're not compromising. She never had to shoot anybody, but nobody came when they realized how serious this was. She had no turncoats. 300 delivered because God loves to set the captives free. And he did it through the gift of dreams and visions. Like Joseph and Mary obeying the dreams God gave them to protect the baby Jesus, Harriet's life and ministry protecting and delivering others was also marked by God speaking, guiding, and directing her through dreams of the night. God shows no partiality. Acts 10, 34. He seeks a willing vessel with a fully committed or surrendered heart through whom he can speak today. See 2 Chronicles 16, 9. The Lord's eyes search throughout the earth. It goes to and fro throughout the earth, searching for those whose hearts are fully surrendered unto him that he might show himself mighty and strong in their behalf. I was about a year, nine months old in, 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 in the Lord. I was in Inglewood, Colorado. I'd moved out at Leavenworth Penitentiary. We used to affectionately call it Heavenworth, you know. And so uh, heaven came down and glory filled my soul in the cockroach sale. So, you know, God will show up. The prisoners may be bound, but the word of God is not bound. And so I was uh, at this new facility and the word of God had gotten into me and I just had this amazing scripture memory. It was a gift. And I began to teach and there was a revival starting to break out on the compound. And, you know, the enemy didn't really like that. And so uh, here I was you know, doing a fresh 22 years with no parole. And uh, I'm on fire for God and got the joy of the Lord and people are getting born again and filled with the spirit. Demons are coming out and I have this dream. Now, normally when dreams come, they come in full color. They're vibrant color. This was not that. But normally that's how I get dreams and visions. And one of the things I ask people when they tell me a dream, I'm like, well, did you see, was it in vibrant color? And they'll say, yes, it was. What do you remember about it? exactly how did they say it and they'll say and i'll say and that ties in with this verse of scripture and this is that and what so the symbols and the signs you know will be very clear this was a very interesting dream so here i'm a nine-month-old christian and i have this dream like i've been able to tap in to a conversation in heaven and it was jesus and the devil and the devil was very angry with me and Jesus was very calm, cool, and collected. And, you know, you can judge this dream for whatever it was, but this is what happened. I heard these words, and I saw a black and white scene, and Satan came up, and he said, I've been watching him. Jesus said, I know you have. He said, he's different than the others. Jesus said, I know he is. He said, I've been working on him. Jesus said, I know you have. He said, well, I'm going to start working on him harder. He goes, Jesus said, I know you will. 
That was it. I was offended. Why didn't Jesus step in and rebuke the devil? Why didn't he say, stop, that's my son. Get off of him. Satan. Peter, Satan has desired to sift you like wheat when you're converted, strengthen your brother. And so that was the scripture that when I asked the Lord, that's what he gave me. And I'm thinking, man, and let me tell you what, the enemy tried to sift me. He worked on me. He turned people against me for the next three years. I was called every name in the book, liar, manipulator, false teacher, false prophet, wasn't even saved. The religious, you know, spirit rose up and men that were later come back to prison. One got a 26 year sentence. Another one was arrested for an inappropriate act with a 14 year old boy when he was an assistant. Uh, pastor of a congregation. Another one was so high on drugs he cut his own tongue out. Another one came back to prison. I mean, these are just very real stories. So when the religious spirit comes against you, pray for those men or women because it doesn't end well for them. And, you know, you might be upset and offended, want to call fire from heaven. You have no idea what's coming because the religious spirit is a murdering spirit. Jesus died at the hands of religious people. Crucify! What should we do with Barabbas? Let Barabbas go. What should we do with Jesus? Crucify him! You know, the first murder in Scripture is Cain and Abel. One is obedient, Abel. Cain is disobedient. Satan is crouching at your door, Cain. If you do what's right, you'll be accepted. If not, sin is crouching at your door, seeking to have you. Instead of repenting at that moment, God was speaking to Cain, just because God speaks to somebody doesn't mean they obey. God's will is that none perish, all come to repentance. But we know people are going to hell in a handbasket. I mean, the three most important things about eternity is like real estate. It's location, location, location. You want to be in the non-smoking section, of course. Comes through, coming through the door of Jesus. Anyway, um, that being said, that religious spirit came against me and buffeted me, yet the power of God continued to fall. I had an anointing on me at that time that was dealing with Satanists. And so Satanists, I led a lot of Satanists to Christ on the compound and cast out a lot of demons, had a lot of unusual manifestations and, and people would astral project that were operating in magical arts and they would show up from another building at you know 2.30 in the morning astral projecting their spirit man into my cell and the Holy Spirit would wake me up I'd be sitting on the edge of the bed and they'd come through the door their spirit man and I'd be like the Lord told me you'd be here are you ready to hear the gospel now and they would look at me and they'd go back out and then I'd see them the next day I said hey it was good seeing you about 2.34 in the morning so I asked her project in did you still want it were there any questions you want to ask I don't know what you're talking about but they would later confess and they would end up coming to Christ and so there was an anointing on me that drove demons to the surface at that time. This was about 1992. I'd be walking across the compound, going down to play basketball or some tennis or, you know, just walk the track. And I'd be walking with a Christian brother. We'd be talking about the Lord. And all of a sudden, some guy would just start yelling and screaming at me, obscenities, cursing me. He'd be like, what'd you do to that guy? I'm like, oh, I don't even know him. That's a demon. He goes, what do you mean? I go, demons manifest around me all the time. They never manifest around me. I'm like, you don't have enough anointing in you to drive them to the surface. You know, so people that are really crazy anointed, they'll have demons manifest and say crazy things. I had a ministry friend of mine who used to have that problem. He was far, far more anointed than I was. And he'd been in ministry, ordained 2,600 pastors. And 
he'd been locked up uh, over a crime that he actually didn't commit, but it turned out to be politically motivated how they locked him up, and he had a signs and wonders anointing. He'd be reading his Bible at four o'clock town, and a guard would just come up and yell and scream and curse him and call him all kinds of names and this and that. He'd just like look up from his Bible. Yes, sir. No, sir. I'm thinking, man, I thought I had problems. That anointing really drove that to the surface. There was a minister on TV, and he was really anointed during that season. And there'd be a lot of Christian ministers on TV, and I'd go get a TV room, and I'd be watching TV, and they'd come in, oh, Dave, you got the TV room. When are you gonna be done? Ah, about 12 minutes left. Okay, we'll come back, and you hold the TV and turn it to basketball force and let us let people know we got the TV room. Sure, no problem. I'd, you know, respect on R-E-S-P-E-C-T. That's what I had respect in for us. And so you treat people good. And, and so they would let me do what I wanted to do. But there was one minister who was heavily anointed for miracle signs and wonders. And when that guy was on, they wouldn't even know him. They did, person would walk in. What do you, hey, what do you, wait. he's a liar. He's a false prophet. I mean, they just start using terminology. You don't really believe. And I'm just like, wow. I actually had dinner with that man of God and his wife um, about, six or seven months ago, and I was able to share with him what an impact he made through the television in those years, and how I was able to sit under his ministry from behind bars, and I was able to share that story and honor him that his ministry had made such an impact that it drove demons and prisoners to the service. Ended up leading several of those guys to Christ over a period of time, not all of them, but uh, God's will is that none perish, and the seed went in, and somebody's praying for him. Holy Spirit, get him on the road to Damascus. Set him free from their Damascus friends. Okay, why does God speak through dreams and visions? God's primary purposes in speaking through the language of dreams and visions to mankind are numerous. Scripture records several. We will examine seven. We're just gonna go through these shortly and we're gonna end tonight because I don't wanna go too long. But, uh, the first reason that God speaks to us in dreams and visions is number one is to warn us. God preserved the life of the baby Jesus by speaking to Joseph and Mary in a dream of the night and being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, Joseph and Mary departed into their own country another way, Matthew 2, 12, King James Version. So there you go. First way, it's to warn us. Second way is to direct us. God provided direction to Joseph and Mary through a second dream after they had obeyed the first, and they, when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. An angel appeared to Joseph in a dream. I've had angels appear to me in a dream. God's graciously given me angels. And when he gives me an angel, I don't always know it's an angel until I wake up. Sometimes I've had an angel, and I know it was an angel right away. And angels can be startling. Often they'll say, fear not, because the fear of the Lord comes with them. But, uh, and when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother and flee into Egypt and be there until I bring thee word. For Herod will seek the young child to kill him or destroy him. Matthew 2.13, King James. So what's interesting is Joseph and Mary were told to take Jesus, the son of the living God, the savior of the world, Emmanuel, God with us, go to the world, go to Egypt. Oh, just hang out in the church. Sometimes God will send you out. This is kind of an odd message tonight, just in the Bible. I'm not saying it's the norm, but I'm telling you that sometimes when you have a higher calling, you know, people say to me, oh, you know, I left the church. I said, you didn't leave the church. You just don't attend church. You are the church. I said, let me ask you a question. 
Who's closer to God, the guy who's in church thinking about fishing or the guy who's out fishing thinking about God? <laughs> the guy who's out fishing thinking about God, not the guy who's on the, at the first church of the frozen chosen with some six-foot icicle preaching the pablum of men that doesn't go beyond the third row and everybody checks the little boxes, does their little offering, does little handshakes and walks out. They're not changed. They still got porn on their computer. They're lying to their spouse. They're lying on this and that. They're manipulating people. They're coming back with their Christian smile. They speak Christianese fluently. They just don't know Jesus in the secret place. They couldn't get a flea healed of a headache. They have no healing power. They have no authority. And demons are comfortable next to them instead of uncomfortable. If you don't have an anointing strong enough to annoy demons, go get in the secret place. And if you don't have a love level strong enough to affect people in the world, Go get in the secret place because they come hand in glove. Number three, to give us confirmation or peace. God gave Joseph confirmation and peace to take Mary and his wife when he discovered she was pregnant. Now picture this. You're betrothed, you're engaged to a woman, and now all of a sudden you find out she's pregnant. Now it's a punishable offense under old covenant law at the time. You could take her out and stone her. I mean, the least you're going to do is put her away quietly so that she doesn't get stoned to death because you love her, but you know, you're know you not going to marry her. She's got somebody else's child. And what happens? His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Wow, that's a tall call. I mean, that's going to take a lot of faith to believe that one. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man, he did not want to expose her to public disgrace and ridicule. He had in mind to divorce her quietly, but after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. They were betrothed, so they were engaged, and then you can take her home, and then you can't. Here's what he says. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Matthew 1, 18 through 21. Very famous verse, especially at Christmas time. Picture the reality of it. Your fiance is pregnant and an angel appears to you in the dream. That's cool. Don't worry about it. She's pregnant by the Holy Spirit and his name is going to be Jesus. Savior of the world. And by the way, it's the Old Testament. I'm sure Joseph went and looked in the scriptures and he found Emmanuel, God with us. She'll be, he'll be born of a virgin. He found all the scriptures. He's like, oh my gosh, I'd rather obey God and look like a fool amongst my friends and possibly be wrong than disobey God and look like a fool in God's eyes. Because remember, eternity, most important thing, Location, 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 right? Because everybody's going to heaven. It's appointed for man to die once and face the judgment. Just not everybody's staying, right? Everybody's going to heaven. I believe that too. Yeah, everybody's going to heaven. Just not everybody's staying. You got an advocate? Did you hire a lawyer? I did. His name's Jesus. He wins every case, by the way. He shed his blood that you might, oh, you know, I'm going to do it on my good merits. There's hell to pay. You don't want to end up in the smoking section. Okay, so number... (laughs) Number four, to correct or rebuke us. I've had the Lord correct and rebuke me in dreams. I used to be fabulous with bald jokes. Absolutely fabulous. I will never tell a bald joke after I had this dream. I mean, somebody says to me, somebody's joking about somebody that, you know, is balding and this and that. I'm like, hey, God only made a few perfect heads. The rest he put hair on. The rest of us are being made perfect. I'm like, hey, you don't put marble tops on cheap furniture. Looking good, bro. 
Well, let me tell you the dream I had. I had a dream and I had great bald jokes and I didn't realize that it wounds people. I just thought it was funny. But to them, it wasn't funny. And so I walked into the bathroom of a restaurant hotel. And as I walked in, I was going to uh, wash my hands and I was washing my face. It seemed like it was after a work day or something like that. So I was just you know, putting some water on my face and I looked up and the guy behind me is patchy bald. Not just balding, but like fell out in chunks. And so I turn and I'm gonna make this really good bald joke, right? And I look and the guy is gone, right? And I'm like, well, you know, maybe it's the angle. And I look back and he's right there again. And I look back and he's gone again. I'm like, where is this guy? And I look up and it's me. <laughs> and the first thing I thought of, oh my gosh, I've got to get hair implants, this and that. I thought of uh, Apollo hair bond. I thought that's going to cost 10 grand. That's like 30 years ago. And I'm like, oh my, who knows what it costs now? Anyway, long story short, I said, oh my God. And I heard these words. Because you have spoken this against others, this has come upon you. We learn not to steal by being stolen from. We learn not to judge others by having that same thing happen to us. Now we have compassion and mercy. So you'll never hear me tell a bald joke. And by the grace of God, I still got my hair, right? I started to lose my hair about, I don't know, seven years ago and God grew it back in and back. That's another story. I've got before and after pictures. So God even gave me hair back. Just crazy deal. Okay, my point is God will rebuke you in a dream. I've actually had the Lord rebuke me in dreams in different ways. And I've gone to like a friend of mine. I'm like, you wouldn't believe this dream I had last night. It was like a confidant and a friend. I'd be like, yeah, well, sure. What's the dream? Well, I had this and, you know, the devil gave me this dream and I was acting this way and I don't act that way. And there was like silence. I was young in the Lord. I go, what's the silence for? He says, you really want to know? I'm like, well, I guess you do act that way. I do? It's like, absolutely. That's exact. That dream wasn't from the devil. That was from God trying to reveal your behavior. And I'm like, really? I'm like, okay, I guess I better repent. And then God would take me through that crock pot process of transformation in the prison cell with cockroaches. Okay, so to correct and rebuke, us. God corrected King Abimelech, a wicked king, rebuking him in a dream at night for taking Abraham's wife. This is number four. Uh, Sarah is one of his concubines, but God came to Abimelech in a dream one night and said to him, you are as good as dead because the woman you have taken to be your wife, she's already married. Now Abimelech had not gone near her, so he said, Lord, will you destroy an innocent nation? Did he not say to me, she's my sister, by the way, Abraham's wife, Sarah was good looking, and he was afraid they would kill him and take his wife. So he said, oh, she's my sister. So Abraham, the father of our faith, kind of told a little fib here out of fear. So it doesn't matter where you're at in the journey, you'll still get through the process and God will utilize you. Just stay in the crock pot. Don't try to get out too soon. Now Abimelech could not get near her. Okay, uh, she's my sister. And didn't she also say to him, he's my brother. So you got the father of his, our faith, Abraham, and his wife, both of them are fibbers. God will meet you at your weaknesses and turn you into a man or a woman of God through the process. Be encouraged. I have done this with a clear conscience and clean hands. 
Then God said to him in the dream, Yes, I know you did this with a clear conscience, and so I have kept you from sinning against me. Wow, that's how much God protects his children. He'll give a non-believer a vision. There was, there was a, a backslidden prophet uh, who had become what we refer to in prison as a black Muslim. So there's a difference between like a Sunni Muslim, a Shiite Muslim uh, versus a black Muslim. Sunnis and Shiites don't consider black Muslims Muslims at all. They believe that, you know, a black scientist 5,000 years ago made the white man in a test tube. You can't make this stuff up, okay? And that the white man took over the earth and so the black man was under a curse because of what the black scientist did in the, the mountains. And so you can look this up on the internet. I don't make this stuff up. And it's, truth is far stranger than fiction. But now, now the curse is over. And so now it's time for the black man to take over the earth and bring the white man under oppression, right? Mm -hmm. So this really, you know, resonates with a lot of people in color in prison. And so they gravitate toward black Islam. And so this guy who was a backslidden Christian who had been wounded by marrying the wrong girl, he got tricked and then, you know, ran into money. He was actually George Foreman's sparring partner. It's a true story. And so he was a professional boxer. He was one bad man, Majama. He was about six foot five and had a reach as far as you could go. In my book, Jet Ride to Hell, Journey to Freedom, there's a chapter when he and I almost went at it um, in, uh, called David, or David and Goliath, I think is the chapter. I don't remember which it is, but it's a true story. We ended up becoming best friends. But at the time, it wasn't so good because he and the other black Muslims were going to kill me. They were going to shank me. So there's four of them. And uh, God spoke to Kent was his name. And man, he was so awesome looking. I mean, he was just like statuesque. He was kind of guy that he walked into the visiting room. Everybody just like turned their head, kind of like the woman in red. It was like Kent in you know, khakis. He was just like a stud. And uh, so uh, Kent gets a dream. Jesus appears to him in a dream. And in the dream, I'm in the dream, and I'm talking to somebody, and my face is glowing with the glory of God. And remember, he's a backslidden Christian and pulled into this false doctrine. And, you know, the test tube doctrine. And so um, God speaks to him. Jesus appears to him. And he says, this is my servant, David. If one hair on his head is harmed, I will hold you personally responsible. I didn't even know I'm about to get shanked. Cut up, sliced up, diced up. They made up some lie that I was paying protection in Leavenworth 50000 a year and I would come down to a medium level facility and now I got to pay protection here just because. So they'd come down from Leavenworth. They were, you know, they were some not so nice guys. And so, long story short, he and I had just almost gone at it like two weeks earlier and I have a dream that he's on the wrong basketball team and he had both outfits on. He had our team's shorts on and the other team's shirt on and he was confused. And I told him in the dream, I said, Kent, you're on the wrong team, you're one of us. Little do I know the same night, Kent's having a dream that if one hair on David's head is harmed, I'm gonna hold you personally responsible. So I see him in the same area we almost went at it. And, and I know this sounds crazy, but there was like an anointing on me that day. And I really thought I could take him. I really did. Real or imagine, I'm just telling you I thought I could. And there was something in my eyes that he saw. And because he was a professional boxer, he didn't know whether I had a shank or what. We're like circling. And he goes, you better go on, little man. I said, I said my name's David. And I said, I run to the battle against Goliath. 
And he looked at me, he says, you're either crazy or you know something I don't. He goes, we're good. We circled and I went out the door and I went, what were you thinking? The anointing lifted just that quick, you know? And so, but I mean, in that moment, I just thought I could like David with Goliath. And that sparked him. We talked about that later. He goes, yeah, you had something in your eyes that wasn't normal. And he said, I knew something was up. He goes, and I didn't want to tangle with you because I'm a professional boxer. So there was something happening. He goes, now I realize it was the Holy Spirit. And he said, so here I am. I go and I approach Kent. And I was in that same spot. I go, hey. He goes, yeah. I said, I need to talk with you. He goes, yeah, I need to talk with you too. And he like sat down in a very non-violent, you know, non-threatening way. He goes, come on over and sit down. And I said, I had a dream about you. He looked at me. He said, this is crazy. He says, I had a dream about you. I said, really? He goes, yeah. So I sat down next to him. We're like sitting down talking. He says, you want to go first or you want me to go first? He goes, you go first because I'll tell you mine's crazier than yours. I said, okay. So I told him my dream and he just shook his head. He goes, what you don't know about me is he says, I'm a backslidden Christian. I was called to be a prophet. He says, I heard a voice. I got tricked. I married a woman who wasn't even a Christian. She was from a false sect of Christianity. It ruined my life. I backslid. I ended up selling drugs, he said, and then I ended up in prison. I ended up in prison for drug trafficking, and then I got swept away with the spirit of racism and anger and hatred. And he says, I'm in prison for that. He said, I had been on the wrong team. I said, well, the good news is when you switch teams, you started dunking and nobody could stop you. And he goes, well, let me tell you my dream. He says, the three black Muslims that I hang out with and I've been studying with, he goes, yeah, he goes, they're planning on killing you. I'm like, well, that's not a good dream. <laughs> he goes, no, that's not the dream. That's the truth. He goes, the dream is, and then he tells me that he saw me and he goes, I went to them and told them, you can't mess with that guy. That's God's servant. So now they want to kill me if I don't go with them to kill you. He goes, so you need to pray for me because I don't want to get messed up with God. I'd rather die and stand between you and them and go to heaven than stand with them and go to hell. Dreams are powerful. So we went into the room. We prayed. Kent rededicated his life to Christ. Was sitting in my chair. And I'm standing, and he, we're still, he's sitting down, we're still same height. I'm praying for him, and the power of God hits him. He gets demons knocked out of him. He gets filled with the Holy Spirit. He got speaking in other tongues. This went on for about 45 minutes. While we were in prayer, the guard went to these guys' cell. We didn't tell on anybody. God cleaned it up, found three shanks, and they were nasty ones. And all three guys went to the hole. And one of the black Muslims ended up winning his appeal at a 30-year sentence. He wins his appeal while he's in the hole. And people thought, wow, the God of black Islam is setting people free. So all these men of color ran to black Islam because they thought they could get their miracle too. Two weeks later, he was murdered in the street. The devil set him free only to get him killed because he knew that if he stayed in there long enough, he'd get exposed to the gospel repeatedly. Wow, that's sobering, isn't it? Okay, let's close this out. God does speak in dreams and visions, doesn't he? And by the way, when God spoke to me 
through the devil wanting to buffet me, do you know that God brought a whole lot to pass over the last 32 years and evangelism has gone out? And you know, when you have a dream where the enemy is angry with you and he's working on you, don't get afraid, get glad. Because greater is he that's in you than he that's within the world. So King Abimelech, a non-believer, was rebuked by the Lord in a dream and repented. And he, but God said, if you do not return her, you may be sure that you and all yours will die. God says, I'll kill every one of your family members if you don't give Abraham his wife back. And Abraham ended up as a fibber, and Sarah as a fibber, and fearful, getting the plunder. And they sent Abraham and his wife out with the goods in the midst and prospered them. And then God blessed Abimelech through it. So people come into encounter with Jesus, or they come into encounter with Yahweh God, through dreams and visions when you handle them correctly. Number five, to call us to ministry or call us to intercession. God used the prophet Amos to intercede for the tribe of Jacob and God's wrath against them diminished. This was accomplished in a series of three visions given to Amos. Twice God showed Amos what he was about to do against Jacob or Israel. Amos interceded, oh Lord God, please forgive your people. Don't send them this plague. If you turn against Israel, what hope is there? For Israel is so small. Amos 7, 2 through 5. Anyway, it goes on. God mitigated down through dreams each time or a vision. As Amos interceded, God relented of the evil. That's the power of intercession. You can actually agree with God's highest will for mercy. Because God's desire is that none perish, but all come to repentance. God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked repent. Pray, pray for your political leaders that they repent. Because judgment's coming. <laughs> Pray that they repent. You'd be amazed when a soul repents, and he's out killing Christians, thinking he's doing God a service in my right two-thirds of the New Testament. When some of these people that are not doing the right thing, they get an encounter with God, and they repent, think about how, the, how much good they can do. I'm telling you, there's a shift taking place behind the scenes right now. It's a lot of the gospel going out that we know about behind the scenes that we just recently heard about from different people. We can't talk about but God is visiting wicked leadership right now in dreams and visions. That doesn't mean they're going to repent, but they're being given an offer right now. And wouldn't it be better that they repent and they do good with their gifts, callings, than just, you know, smoking section? Okay, number six, prophesying to others. God sometimes provides messages for others through the vehicle dreams and visions. This, in its simplest terms, is the gift of prophecy. Prophecy is hearing from God and speaking the message that you've received to others. God said to an entire church congregation in the book of Corinthians, for you can all prophesy. The word all again means all. That's you, 1 Corinthians 14, 31. So God wants you to have the gift of prophecy. The book of Joel says, and afterward I'll pour out my spirit on all people your sons and daughters will prophesy. That's what Peter quoted in the New Testament, the book of Acts. He was quoting from Peter, or he's quoting from Joel's bar. I call it Joel's bar because the new wine was poured out. They got drunk in the spirit. Okay. Number seven, to call us to ministry. God sometimes uses the vehicle of a dream or a vision to call an individual into the ministry. Joseph experience, Joseph's experience in the Old Testament pattern uh, followed this calling. Joseph's experience followed this pattern uh, where he was shown he would be 
his family would bow down the sheep to him in Genesis 37. Saul of Tarsus met Jesus on the road to Damascus in an open vision, being knocked to the ground and blinded for three days, called into ministry. God then spoke to Ananias in a vision, confirming Saul's call to ministry. You see how many times we see visions and dreams. This is part of the supernatural call. When you operate in signs and wonders, visions and dreams will be common. My wife has a seer level gifting. We'll be talking and I'll be like, I don't have the energy to pray, this and that. She'll be like, oh, I just saw something. And she'll be like, you put me on the phone with him. And she's like, doesn't have the energy, we're worn out. I, I don't wanna pray for him all When she had the key, she's like, oh, this is what it is, break it off, and they instantly get set free. And we're going back, wow, I'm tired, can't wait to go to home to be, you know, to go to bed. What, to make yourself available unto the Lord for dreams and visions during sleep? Yep, okay. <laughs> so God spoke to Ananias, anyway, so that's that. So that's the reality of dreams and visions. Do all visions and dreams come from God? The answer is no, some come from the devil, some come from too much pizza, ice cream, and anchovies before bed. You can have soulless dreams. You can be too busy in business, and you'll have soulless dreams where your mind's just spinning. So learn how to distinguish between dreams that come from the Lord and write the dream, make it plain upon the tablet. Leave an iPad by your bed. Leave a phone to speak the dream into. Pen and paper, you know, the old-fashioned way. That's how I learned. But God will use all of it and then when you get up in the morning, you'll see the paper by your bed and you'll be like, oh yeah, I had that dream. And it might be even scratchy and you know, bad cursive or whatever, and you'll be able to look and you'll break it down and God will give you interpretation of that. Or right in the middle of the night, God will give you interpretation. One final thing is we're closing on a friend of mine, Prophet Rob, he was actually the uh, pastor who married or officiated the wedding of Joanna and me. He has an incredible gift. He's got a Daniel 2 anointing from time to time. It doesn't happen all the time, but I've seen it on several occasions. He'll be prophesying, he'll be preaching, he'll be teaching, all of a sudden he'll stop and he'll call somebody out. He'll say, last night you had a dream. And okay, well, a lot of people had dreams, you know. I guess I'm supposed to tell you the dream, you're supposed to give me the interpretation. No, I'll tell you the dream you had. And he'll tell them their dream scene by scene with the interpretation. And the power of God will fall as every scene he sees, he reveals. And so, he was ministering in another nation. I won't name the nation, but he was brought to the, what would be like an under the attorney general there, who was a Christian and about a two, 3% Christian nation. And so here he was in that high level. And the woman who was a minister had facilitated him at some churches. She had contact there. Long story short, she said, this prophet will tell you what you said in your bedroom last night. Rob was like, oh man, that's, you know, God just kind of set me up. That's kind of a tough one. But it's not tough for God. And so this guy was a Christian, but he didn't believe in the supernatural moving of God. And so Rob came in and he said, okay, tell me what I, I, I spoke in my bedroom last night. Rob says, God, you really need to do something. And all of a sudden he had a vision. He says, this is what the Lord just showed me. The Lord showed me that you were talking to your wife last night. You said, you feel it. You have a straw position. You're just a straw man. You just signed paperwork that's already been created for you. And all you're doing is rubber stamping what others are using through your position of authority and that you feel like you're not making a difference and you told your wife you're coming in to resign today. And he looked, shut the doors, and he took notes as Rob prophesied to him on how to run that nation. So God will use prophets behind the scenes with people in positions of authority as we hone our gift with him 
in the secret place and we'll carry that presence into the marketplace and revival will happen and we'll plunder hell and populate heaven and bring Jesus the just recompense of his reward that he paid for on the cross for you and me and them 2,000 years ago that's still resonant and effective today if we'll simply spend time with him and carry him by presence, power, authority, prophecy, revelation, and the goodness of God will lead men to repentance. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would pour out your spirit afresh on all flesh. You would pour out your spirit afresh on all flesh as you promised. And sons and daughters will prophesy, men will bring dreams, old men will have visions, even on my men servants and maid servants. You said you would pour out your spirit in these end days. We need you more now than ever. So we pray that you would visit us in dreams and visions and you would give us the wherewithal to get up and write them down and not just to fall back asleep that we might obey the Daniel 7, 1 and Habakkuk 2, 2 and 3, write the vision. And I wrote the vision that I saw. And I thank you, Father God, for doing this, even beginning tonight, that you might draw us from the language of dreams and visions into your presence, into the secret place, that you might give us the tongue of the learned, that we might speak a word in season unto him who is weary, and you might make our tongue the pen of a ready writer, that we might speak those things we have received as being in proximity in the secret place with the King of Kings, Jesus of Nazareth, and you would send us out into the marketplace to bring the secret place to them, that hell might be plundered and heaven populated by your glorious gospel of love. And those in agreement said, Amen. Amen. But we'll see you next week, uh, Quantum Kingdom Life. I'm David. This is my lovely wife, Joanna. Queen's Wave. And there we go. And we will see you next week. Visit us at Virtual Church Media. And if you want to partner with our ministry, we appreciate the support. We're getting ready to do a series of TV broadcast on international TV. We're needing some things, so contact us. You're a really healthy, hearty donor. We'll sit down with you. We can utilize the money to get the gospel out to the nations. God bless you. Amen.